In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A long time ago, when I was going through the process of uh, being checked out by the diocese to see if, it was, uh, if I was all right to be ordained, one of the things that I had to go through was to go see a psychologist, and the psychologist was there to determine for the diocese whether I was a little nuts or not and uh, decide whether it was okay to send me forward. They sent me forward even though they never said anything about the tick that I had in those days. But one of the things that happened when we were having the conversation was that the, uh, the psychologist came to me, gave me the Rorschach test. You know what I'm talking about, those screens that they give you, the, the uh, drawings. And, and so they gave them all to me, and I went ahead and looked at them, and I gave them the first answer that came to my mind. I gave them the first answer, I gave them the first answer that came to my mind. And finally, when I finished it, uh, she told me, I said, you know, something that I've noticed, I'll never forget this, she said, something that I've noticed about you is that you're one of the very few people who have ever taken that, who never turn it upside down or turn it sideways to look at it differently. And then I remember that she hesitated with what she was about to say, but I remember that it was something like this, and she says, do you think this is the way you approach life completely? That way. Taking each day as it is handed to you, accepting all the shoulds and oughts and the right way to do things in life. And then she said, perhaps you might want to start exercising your freedom and your imagination. Then you may be able to find some new angles for interpreting the world in which you exist. Clearly, it had a strong effect on me because I remember that conversation, although not literally, but the gist of it. And I've tried to walk through that door that she suggested for the rest of my life to explore the world in new ways and look at it with diff through different angles and different possibilities. Barbara Brown Taylor suggests that every act of faith is an act of imagination. She writes, it is a mind, hard interpretation of the world, not as, it's, as it is handed to us, but from the angle of how God wants us to see the world. She writes, the theological word for this experience is revelation, but the process, she says, is imagination. And then she concludes by saying, there are Native Americans who call this looking twice at the world. We are in the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. As I told you a few Sundays ago, this is the third of the five discourses in Matthew's Gospel. This is the parabolic discourse. We are getting uh, uh, parable after parable after parable after parable. Now many of us think when we read Scripture that Jesus invented speaking and parables, but he really didn't invent speaking and parables. The term parable in the New Testament reflects the Hebrew scripture, mashal, that's the word in Hebrew. And the operative principle in, the, in that genre of scripture is saying something about one thing by speaking of another. And it goes on to say, a mashal is a fiction that tells the truth. So when handled correctly, the mashal points to its intended meaning. And what Jesus does is that he develops this tradition into the hallmark of his teaching tradition. So he spends a lot of his time speaking in parables. We know the Hebrew word for mashal. We know it in our own English language. They're called metaphors. Speaking in metaphors, that's when we talk about one thing by referring to another thing, getting at the meaning of one thing by comparing it to another thing. 
Jesus does this all the time. He does it over and over, particularly in Matthew's Gospel. He's always making comparisons, and the issue about making the comparisons sometimes are easy to understand. Sometimes they shock us, and sometimes the ones that shock us are the ones that invite us to consider the possibility of what truth may lie behind it. Some of them go like this. Sinners are like lost sheep. The Word of God is like sown on different kinds of ground. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. God is like the owner of a vineyard. And then today we find five parables back to back that go like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he fires them at us. I've always wondered if anybody was capable about to speak about the nature of God and the relationship with God and the experience of God, I would think that Jesus would be the guy who would be able to speak most directly about that. But he opts not to do that, and he presents the options of understanding our experience with God, of God with parables, with these mashals that he develops into his teaching style. It's almost, remember that line from Emily Dickinson? Tell the truth, but tell it slant. It's pretty much what he's doing by telling about parables. So today he gives us five quick flashes of the kingdom. And they come so quickly that there's no time for any of us to settle down to listen to them one by one. He just sings all of them one, two, three, four, five of these parables. They're like snapshots, samples, scenes, glimpsed through the windows of a fast-moving train. The kingdom of heaven is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it is like this. It's almost like he doesn't want us to think too much about them, like he doesn't want us to get stuck on any one of them, but to be dazzled by the number and variety of the things that the kingdom is like. It's like this, and this, and this. I hesitate to use this word, but I'll use it today anyway. Uh, they're like Twitter parables, and by that I don't mean that they're incoherent and unhinged. <laughs> because these are coherent, and they are hinged. But they're like Twitter parables, one coming right after the other, inviting us to consider how we're going to understand the reality of the experience of God. The first two, of course, talk about something small that turns out to be surprising and potent. The next two talk about something that is rare but attainable for those who are eager to play the price. And the last one of God, that, of course, reminds us that it's not we who are hauled on the boat, but we are hauled, hauled, the ones who are hauled into the boat. We could spend a lot of time talking about each and every one of the parables, but the one that I think is the most important thing, and Barbara Brown Taylor is the one that uh, suggested this for me, is this, that the one thing all these parables have in common is their hiddenness. Think about it. Everything is hidden in every one of these parables. The mustard seed hidden in the ground, the yeast in the dough, the treasure in the field, the pearl among other pearls, the net hidden in the depths of the sea. So if the kingdom of heaven is like this, then it must not be something that is readily apparent to the eye, but something that must be searched for, something just below the surface of things waiting to be discovered. The kingdom of heaven is like this, Jesus says. So where do you start looking for the hidden kingdom of heaven? Where are we supposed to start if that's the nature of God, if that's the nature of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Should we go off to our monastery, start searching there? Should we go to Calcutta, 
uh, the Sisters of Mercy with the dying there in Calcutta. Should we make a trip to the Holy Land? You're welcome to go with a church group in February if you want to go there. Should we spend some time with biblical scholars to unearth the truth about all these things? Because if the kingdom of heaven is hidden in this world, it is hidden very, very well. And even the most experienced detectives among us have very few chances of finding it at all. That is, if you think that it is hidden so well that it has to be discovered with a map. Here's the suggestion. Perhaps Jesus has resorted to the oldest trick in the book and hidden the truth of the kingdom of God in plain view. Think about it. There's always that possibility that God decides to hide the kingdom of heaven not in the extraordinary places for treasure hunters, but namely that we will find the extraordinary experience of God hidden in the ordinary experiences of our lives. That the kingdom of heaven is mixed in with all the humdrum and all the ho-hum of our days. In the Gospel of Thomas, which didn't make it into the Bible, the Gospel of Thomas made up of a bunch of pithy sayings and parables that are attributed to Jesus. And one of the sayings goes like this. The disciples came to Jesus and said, when will the kingdom come? Jesus replies in the Gospel of Thomas, you cannot say that it is here or it is there, for the kingdom of God is already spread over the earth. It's just that people don't see it. Here's a story to illustrate it. In the early 1800s, a tall sailing ship headed for China ran into the trouble at the Horn of South America. So they were beaten back by storms that were without parallel that they had experienced before. Their masts were down, the lifeboats destroyed, the crew is starving and dying of thirst, and so it lay helpless off the jungle coast of Latin America. And then suddenly, the story goes, as a mirage, a proud clipper ship appeared on the horizon under full sail. And as it came near, a midshipman on the disabled ship struggled to his feet, and grasping two flags and semaphore began feebly to signal, water, water. Back came the answer in semaphore, lower your buckets, you're in the mouth of the Amazon. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is in the midst of us. How would you create a parable that explains the experience of the kingdom of God in your life? What are the earthly things that are your experiences to talk about the heavenly things of God? Have you tried it? Have you tried it out by starting the kingdom of God is like and finishing it with your own experiences? Look at the world twice, as the Native Americans would suggest, and there we may find the experience of God. This morning when I got up early in the morning, as I'm getting out of the house in a 62-degree beautiful morning, my first thought after reading all of the stories, these five parables, I said, if I were to write one today, it would go like this. The kingdom of God is like a 62-degree morning after those 95 degrees days in Washington. And by that I mean the kingdom of God is the refreshment for our lives.
The disciples back then had as much trouble as we in hearing or seeing what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus speaks the language of imagination. He speaks in mashals, in parables, image stories that invite us to look twice, to see the holy in the, in the human, the miraculous in the mundane, the extraordinary in the ordinary. He talks about seeds and fishing nets, weeds and pearls. He takes his listeners to the kitchen and to the garden, to the wheat field and to the seashore. There, in the most ordinary places of their lives, he shows them the experience of God. He invites them, and he invites us to find the buried treasure of the kingdom of God in our own living and in our own day. Amen.